and welcome to the Retrosaurus podcast. My name's Dan. And I'm Retro Marky. Hello Marky, how are you? I'm not too bad at all. How are you, Dan? Yeah, I'm great. Thank you very much. You know what it's like at... You get to a certain age and everything starts breaking, but you put on a brave face, don't you? So, <laughs> but we don't want to talk about my piles. <laughs> no. um, that was a joke, by the way. We're, I've totally planned this. Are we going to get around to a topic? Or? <laughs> so we're here to talk about retro computing, aren't we? And we're following on, really, from the episode we had last week, yeah. um, where we talked about uh, the Commodore 64 as was. Mm. And that's not an 80s band, as was. Sounds like it, doesn't it? But, um, you know, we talked about the games. We talked about what we loved about it. It was all about personal experience and stuff. And it's very easy for people. Uh, See, I'm getting in early and getting all my words in early because I think you've got a lot to say about this. I'm doing well at shutting up for once. (laughs) Okay, right. So, you know, we talked about our experiences and stuff and, you know, what we loved about the Commodore 64. And you can think that, okay, well, that's the thing that's perhaps sitting in the cupboard and you get it out occasionally and, you know, fondle your Commodore 64. Right, I'm glad <laughs> you said Commodore 64. I wonder where that was going. Yeah, though. and uh, and then maybe put it away again. But actually, um, it's not something that is just locked in, in the dark ages uh, of yesteryear. The thing that surprised me recently is when we've met up and uh, you've shown me your, your gadgets, as it were, um, <laughs> that's not a euphemism. <laughs> no. Um, yes. Yeah, it's you, modern solutions for. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, getting sensible ahead on. <laughs> <laughs> right. Sorry. We'll cut that out. <laughs> Put, putting my sensible head on here, there t- transpires that the Commodore 64 ecosystem is alive and well. There are huge amounts of communities doing things in terms of hardware and software. Uh, all kinds of imaginative things, mm-hmm. and really still pushing the boundaries of what that 8-bit machine with a less than 1 megahertz processor can do. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's it's almost as if it's as big now as it was back then. I really do think that's the case. The number of games you can you can get for it, the new, as you said, the new peripherals that um, sort of bring it a little bit into the modern world, yeah, to an extent. Um, I did want to mention one thing just quickly. Yeah, is I mentioned last time. Uh, about 5 million. I was way off. Were you really? More like 17 million C64s sold. That's worldwide over a number of years, but it's incredible, isn't it? That is a a stunning number of uh, (laughs) 8-bit machines out in the home, I guess. Uh, To be honest, let's face it, I can't imagine many people use that for business. I wouldn't have thought so, would you? Not with the, the, uh, like we said last time, the SID chip and the VIC chip for sprites and the game ports for the Atari joystick. We know why they designed it, don't we? We do indeed. So we're going to talk about that. There Mm -hmm. was one omission, uh, another omission, a gaming omission from last week. We quickly wanted to bring in. It was a game by a company called? System 3. Yeah, and the title was? Last Ninja, well, I'd say Last Ninja 2, but obviously the first one as well was important. But for me, the second one, that incredible soundtrack. I mean, the first one was good, but it had more of a traditional ninja kind of Japanese cultural feel with mm-hmm. the music. Uh, and then the second one was a little bit more, it was in the city, well, it was in the city at times. It was an and evolution, the, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and the soundtrack is still, it sends shivers down my spine, it really does. Yeah, so that that was a game we both yeah. really enjoyed, put hours and hours into. Hard uh, game, wasn't it? Yeah, and effectively, would you call it a, an isometric kind I of? I would, yeah. Sort of an isometric um, adventure game, uh, room-based adventure game uh, with puzzles and some pretty awkward Jumping, I seem to remember, yeah. pixel-perfect jumps that yeah. you had to make as a ninja with your array of weaponry. 
that's one thing that I will say I like about modern gaming that's finally pretty much gone is I cannot stand pixel perfect jumping. Mm -hmm. I don't find it enjoyable. I don't even like the first time I fall. I don't think, oh, okay, it's challenging. I think, seriously, I've got to go around and do that again. It really annoys me. So the death of uh, pixel perfect jumping is uh, is something the modern world does really well. But uh, The Last Ninja was effectively a huge Mm. adventure over multiple levels, which would load in. It'd have fantastic music playing in the background. And that really weird uh, nunchuck animation that used, <laughs> used to kind of... It was like he was throwing something and having a crouch on the toilet at the same time. Oh, that's it was a right. bit odd. But yeah, the sprite animation was another thing, wasn't it, that was particularly good in that game. Um, of all the characters, I think. They all mm-hmm. had a variety of movements, very smooth. And of course, it almost came out on the Conics. It almost came out on the Conics, yes. Talking of which, have you had any um, more fun with your Conics controller? Uh, not recently, no. no. I've got plans for it. And I intend to investigate using mm. that controller, perhaps with things like, I don't know if it's possible to patch that into the Amiga emulator. I would think or so, things yeah. things like that. So, no, but... Uh, I think that might be another episode, maybe a Conix Part 2. I think so as well. Yeah. So we talked about maybe running MAME and seeing if we could patch it into MAME. Ooh, outrun, yes, please. Using it for outrun and perhaps <laughs> Star Wars oh. as a thing. So uh, if we do that, actually, um, we'll probably put that on the Retro Marquee channel. Is, uh, well, yeah, it could do. It could if, be a bonus. If you'll allow it. I will allow it indeed, yeah. <laughs> or or some other video, maybe a you know, spin-off video or something from this podcast. Actually, that's one thing I would like to say, because we're on what, episode six now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thank, thanks to people for subscribing and following and commenting. Um, we have made a few changes, but of course, um, we're just trying to make it as, as best as possible, really, for the listeners. So we've changed our name once. I don't think that's going to happen again. Um, I'm really pleased with the new name. So thanks for putting up with that. We've also changed from SoundCloud. Um, Over to Anchor FM. Yeah, which is working out really well, actually. Yeah. So far. <laughs> yeah. Our, our listeners are now in double digits, so <laughs> thanks for that. So, uh, But we are, just to say, we're, we're, we're going to try and um, not, not keep changing all the time. Yeah. We're going to try and keep it consistent. But any changes are hopefully for the better for the listener. So Yeah, right. So we should get into the uh, topic because we've already gone sort of over five minutes rambling on. We want to talk about the Commodore 64 in the modern era. Where do we start about that, Mark? Well, what I was going to do was quickly mention, so the ways of playing the Commodore 64 hardware-wise. So originally, of course, we had the classic bread bin. I'm mm-hmm. not going to go into all the details. We had the bread bin and then the more modern 64C which in the modern day, if you are going to go down the proper retro route, I would advise to buy a C64C mm-hmm. for reliability. Um, it's newer hardware. Yeah. Um, the bread bins are classic, I know, and I do have bread bins, but C64C would be my recommendation for modern day times. Okay, so you've shown me a C64C, mm. but that is not a C64C. <laughs> It's um, a, but with a clear Perspex case and a bespoke Ooh, my board. Beauty, yes. So, do you want to tell me about this? Yeah. So that's the uh, C64 Reloaded Mark II motherboard. There is a Mark One. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Mark II's obviously got a few improvements, but they're both basically modern FPGA yeah. motherboards. Mm-hmm. But the nice thing about them is you do need to put in um, some of the original chips, the SID chip, the VIC right. chip. So you just drop them in yeah. from a. A donor machine. Yeah, they use uh, what's called ZIF socket zero insertion force. Mm-hmm. And what's good about, especially the Mark II, is it automatically detects uh, what chip you've dropped in oh, and right. configures okay. it. Yeah. So, for example, it's good for also testing chips because mm-hmm. it will literally say, "Ah, oh, that's a VIC two R three 
whatever. Yeah. Um, and also see if there's, there's any kind of failure or any faults. So, yeah, it's, it's an FPGA uh, modern motherboard using um, modern technology but coupled with the original chips. And of course, the SID chip can't be emulated perfectly no matter what people say. Yeah. You can get close, but it has analog digital converters in it, and also the reason it can't be emulated is every SID chip is slightly different. There really? is no one SID chip, some are better than others. Same with the VIC chip as well, you've got mm -hmm. better VIC chips and um, better SID chips. Isn't and, that extraordinary? Yeah, it is extraordinary, yeah. So, so for one of these boards and mm -hmm. uh, the case, do they come all as one or are they two separate things? No, you buy basically, you're, you're only buying the motherboard, so mm -hmm. you need to uh, source a power supply, which is the other thing I should have mentioned that it uses a modern power supply. So it's 75% um, more efficient, and um, C64s often go wrong because of the original power supplies. Right. So uh, I do recommend in the modern age using something like this or a modern um, power supply for your, for your bread bin. Okay, so uh, how many weeks pocket money have I got to save to get <laughs> myself something like that, assuming you've already got a donor machine? Uh, so, I mean, the, um, the reloaded motherboard is around, I think it's about 150 shipped. So it's wow. not cheap. Okay, yeah. And then you need your VIC chip, your SID chips, or chip, mm -hmm. uh, a couple of CIAs. So you're talking about 200 before case, yeah. keyboard, mm -hmm. power supply. So it's not a cheap route. Mm -hmm. um, but if you want reliability, for example, I mean, I've got a lot of machines, but if you're one of those people who just wants one kind of really good C64 that's reliable yeah. and going to last, mm -hmm probably the way or one of the ways to go anyway yeah i see so if, if you i mean there's always that sense isn't there when you bring out your original mm. home computer that you're gonna turn it on and it's something's gonna blow or even actually yeah. on, the, on the commodore 64 i remember the bread bin one having problems where people pulled joystick ports mm. there's a voltage in the joystick ports see i did i didn't realize yeah. that but I, I, the person who told me about that was philip co it's true actually yeah, yeah. Yeah. Blow chips easily, yeah. Our friend Phil was very on the ball when it came to things like that and uh, he was, was yeah. quick to point out so you didn't nuke his Commodore 64, which is a fair, fair thing to say. Really. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for that advice, Phil. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Mark, so we were talking about uh, that particular piece of kit. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's one option for the modern... So we've got the, the original, obviously, machines. We've got the C64 reloaded. Other options um, are there's the DTV, which was a joystick. Yeah. With built-in games. Now, the interesting thing with that is the original um, circuitry is still there, so you can mm -hmm. mod it into a workable machine with keyboard, disk drive, the works. Wow. Now, you might just think, well, what's the point of doing that? Well, it's slightly, because it's more modern, um, They've got you've got two megabytes of RAM in there, mm -hmm. and the C64 can display... 256 as opposed to 16 colors right this is before interlacing with interlacing you can get 4,000 colors so there's not many but if you check on my channel for example there's DTV videos and it's impressive okay. it really is a taste of what the 64 could have been with a little bit more hardware behind it Wow yeah not that I'm criticizing it but no no that it's... color palette makes a difference well we are talking about the Commodore 64 in the modern era yeah. and part of that is about um, the evolution of the hardware by but still keeping the the kernel of the you know the system I mean the thing with this one is um, this is not that modern now it's been around it might have been what, 10 years or so so it's not super modern the reason I'm saying that is there is now a brand new c64 mini um, which is kind of a combination of two things it's kind of a combination of uh, the DTV so a joystick with all the games on it 
um, but it's also possible to add later a keyboard and use it as a as a machine. Is that the one that looks like a mini Commodore yeah. 64, but the keyboard's fake on it? Is that right? That's exactly right. Now, the other thing about that, because um, although they've made that, they are making a more expensive version with a proper working keyboard, <laughs> which I'm looking forward to. I think I'm going to have to get my hands on that and uh, see what it can do. Yeah. So that's, yeah, another two options. And then going back to the original machines, of course, we have the C64GS console, yep. uh, a bit like the Amstrad GX4000. Mm. Bit of a disappointment, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, not really the most successful. No. But uh, nowadays, highly collectible. So if you've got one of those in your cupboard, don't throw it away. Right, OK. In fact, sell it to Mark instead. <laughs> yeah, in fact, you just just give it to me because it's not worth much. No, yeah, no, no. And I'll no. look after it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, so you've got quite a few options there. You got any more? Uh, well, moving on, I think, so we've also got some modern hardware, um, like the Chameleon, which is kind of, um, it's not, well, it is a peripheral that you can plug in a 64, but it's also a standalone machine in itself, that right. can also can be a 64, and an Amiga, and a Spectrum, so it's a funny one. Right, um, okay, so we're moving away, we've got a base system here, yeah. and now we're talking about the things that, okay, we've got this up and running, what can we do in the modern age? You're saying, I can start plugging in devices that weren't around oh, yeah. back in the 80s, but are around now. So go on then. So yeah. Chameleon. So the Chameleon um, is actually more of a standalone peripheral in that sense, more than the other ones I'm going to talk about. I don't mm -hmm. have a Chameleon. It's, for me, I mean, obviously it's a bit like emulation. There are sort of points of how original something is up to things like pure emulation. You know, you could have a C64 on your iPhone if you want, but for me that's way too far removed. Yeah. This one's kind of in that middle ground of it's sort of between those two extremes. I've got to admit, I'll, I'll fess up. I have heard of this mm. um, reading a celebrity magazine. Apparently, Boy George has got one. So, <laughs> uh, so what else we got? <laughs> don't believe a word he says. <laughs> I don't. Go on. Um, now, this, I've got some gadgets here actually to show you. But yes. This one's called the Ultimate 2. Okay, let me, let me describe this. Uh, yeah. So I've. Uh, Picked it up. It's like it's, the size of a cigarette packet, more or less. It bigger. looks like something you'd fit in the cartridge slot. So I don't know if you remember on the Commodore 64, you used to get those action replay cartridges yes. that you shove in and it would freeze the memory and you'd poke codes in and stuff like exactly, that. Exactly, yeah. So it looks like that. And it's got, it uh, looks like some, is that a tape? That is serial, indeed. Serial port for tape or something. So that's ordinary tape. Actually, recorder. serial port for disc, yeah. For di okay, I'll shut up. Uh, a USB port, some audio, audio jacks by the looks of things. What? Okay, so on the other side, it's got uh, an Ethernet connector. I imagine yep. that's a 10100 or something. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, More dual, USB, yeah. Dual USB ports and a, so a micro. That's a micro, isn't it? Not Micro mini. SD, yeah. I can never tell with those. <laughs> and then three magic buttons, red buttons on the back of it. Yeah. Dare I press? Yeah, you can press them. Okay. They're not particularly impressive, but T they, they do the job. Tiny little micro switches behind yeah. them. Yeah. Excellent. So what would I do with this Ultimate 2 Plus cartridge thing? You would plug that into a real Commodore 64, into the user, uh, sorry, the cartridge port, as you rightly deduced. Um, and that gives you pretty much everything. Uh, you can run discs, disc images. Um, uh, now, this thing emulates an actual disc drive, unlike this other gadget here, which is an SD card reader and writer. Okay, we'll get into that in a yeah. bit. So this, this emulates a disk drive. Including it... the hardware. I think you alluded to it before, actually, that the C64 disk drive was a computer in itself, in a sense. Mm -hmm. It had its own CPU, it had some memory in there, and demo coders would often use that to um, process, yep. make, make calculations. 
Uh, and that thing will 99.999% be as compatible. Wow. Uh, so you've got a... And it's almost really, to me, it's like having a hard drive, really. You've mm -hmm. got a bunch of thousands of images, games, yeah. utilities. You click on it and it loads it like a real disc. Okay, um, what, are they actually stored within it? Uh, on a USB... So, yeah, what's not in there is my USB stick. Right, okay. So I have a 16 gig, I think, USB stick. I mm -hmm. could have more if I wanted. Yeah. Thousands of games. Uh, well, funnily enough, we had a, a chat about this. Mm. The the sum total of all Commodore 64... No, it was Nintendo we were talking about, wasn't it? It was something... Oh, yeah. The, the NES was how much? 700 and something megabytes. And the entire library. And what, what about the, the SNES? The SNES was 1.03 gigabytes, more or less. That's the entire library, including variations, everything. Yeah, and mods as well, yeah, things like that. Absolutely. So amazing. you can imagine... Yeah, I mean, 16 gig stick in that is... Way more than I'd ever ever need. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna stop fondling this car <laughs> and put it back down. So uh... so just to mention, just to finish on that, it also emulates cassette, mm -hmm. uh, and it has the 16 megabyte REU expansion, the RAM expansion unit. Oh, what within it? So yes. that it affords that to the the Commodore yeah. itself, right? Okay, giving us 16 megabytes of um, well, it's not exactly RAM; it's data RAM. Mm -hmm. So the 64 is an 8-bit computer. You can't use 16 megabytes for no. programming it. Mm -hmm. But you can stream in data very quickly. And this is how you've got the um, amazing... And this is how you've got the amazing videos I've shown you of like Miami Vice uh, intro TV shows and things like that. Mm -hmm. It's streaming this data extremely quickly. Yeah. That's, um, that's really interesting. And so, again, uh, how many weeks paper around money am I... So you're talking about... I think it's about £150 for that. Mm -hmm. Um and last time, it was a couple of months wait for it. Right. Okay, so there is a lead time on these devices. Where would you go if you were going to get hold of one of these? Uh, I'll go to Google and look up the Ultimate 2 Plus. Um, <laughs> go for whoever can supply it quickest. <laughs> because, yeah, it, it's made by... I mean, it's not a huge corporation or anything. It's made by a guy called Gideon um, in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. But following on from that, going back a little bit, he's also working on an almost finished... I think he's got the prototypes Ultimate 64. Mm -hmm. So now what we're doing is combining this with something a bit more like the Reloaded again. So it's an FPGA motherboard yeah. with this built in. Right. Now you don't pop in real chips like the Reloaded. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of, a again, another way of doing things. This is pure FPGA, yeah. but it has this tech in it. Mm -hmm. So it's something I will definitely be um, ordering. It'll probably take months to get it, months and months and months, but... That's another way of playing modern C64. Probably, I'm guessing, could be yeah, the best way. Yeah, okay. I mean, can't get enough of Commodore 64. Absolutely uh, not. So many ways to play. Sounds like a catchphrase, doesn't it? Okay, so, <laughs> so what about this little device you alluded to earlier? So that's an SD. That's much cheaper, around £40. Uh, it's basically just an SD card reader and writer. It is Jiffy DOS compatible, so it can be used. Jiffy DOS? Yeah, Jiffy DOS is a... Fast loading disk solution. We talked about this uh, last week, didn't we? How bad the serial drive is yeah. on the 64. And Jiffy DOS um, makes that much quicker. Right. Okay. So uh, I'm taking a look at this device. It's, it's quite an, small, an isn't inch it? by yeah. two inches. Little, That's what she said. <laughs> SD card uh, a device with a cable coming out the back. So um, that goes into your serial port. Yeah. And this is for power. Now, yeah, so there's a, another slave connector that comes yeah. off it that is used for power. So where, exactly. where would you plug that into the power brick or something? Well, actually, uh, this is a C16 slash plus four one. Mm -hmm. um, but I have an adapter 
which I use on my C64. The reason being, with this, I can use this on any Commodore 8 bit now. Yeah. 16 plus 4, 64, VIC 20, 1 to 8, that works. All your Commodore stuff in one tiny little SD card. Exactly. Fantastic. Okay, that's really good. And where would you kind of source these? Uh, on eBay, all over the place. Again, I would do yeah. a Google search. Just, there's various people making them. You can buy a kit that you, you can solder yourself to make them internal as well. Okay. Um, they've been around quite quite a number of years. The disadvantage with this is I'm a big fan of demos, and demos often won't work on this. Okay. Um, it's not easy to do disk swapping on this, mm -hmm. and it doesn't emulate the disk drive, as I mentioned before. So but other than that, it's a very good, for the price, very good piece of hardware. See, as we go along and have this conversation, <laughs> the thing, I find myself torn in a way. Yeah. Because when I take a look at a retro computer, Mm-hmm. I find myself sometimes punishingly wanting to experience all of that uh, yeah. retro experience, including long load, load times, yeah. invader load, as we said in the past, oh, yeah. uh -huh. uh, and that kind of thing. And it's almost as a checkpoint to remind me of the speed that we have things now. So I guess what you're saying is if you want to bypass all that, you can yeah. with all this. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's not mandatory these days to enjoy the Commodore experience, of course. No, I mean, there's and also there's a romanticism and nostalgia that you, you remember loading a game and it being... A, I mean, and it was a pleasurable experience, it still is. But and we knew no more at the time. If I want a quick game of Whizball, I'm not going to sit there and load my tape version when I can have it instantly on, a, on an EEPROM mm -hmm. that I programmed. What's an EEPROM? Uh, an EEPROM is an erasable programmable read-only memory. So that's a solution I didn't bring, but very quickly, so you, um, there is a solution I have, which is a cartridge mm -hmm. with an EEPROM socket. You can buy them for about 50p each a pound. Yeah. Uh, you need an EEPROM programmer, obviously, but yeah. you can get those from China, dirt cheap now. Mm -hmm. um, and you do need a little bit of technology and a bit of programming skills, but you can make your own cartridges to an extent. Wow, okay. So yeah. there's an awful lot you can do with this. So we've oh, got incredible an, amount. Yet another device, another <laughs> kind of, what's this? This is a bit, This is more... called a tapuino, which sounds very Italiano. Uh, like, uh... A tapuino, which is, just to describe it, again, two inches by um, just under an inch. Yeah, a little bit chunkier than the SD card, mm -hmm. but not much. That goes in the cassette port. Okay, yeah. And it's a cassette drive emulator with an SD card, micro SD card, and I've got uh, tape images on there. Okay. So if you want to go to that real experience you're talking about without data rewind tape, mm -hmm. that's the way to go in the modern world. Okay, right. So this would give you a consistent loading experience. And would you... But completely as is back in the day. Right. So on the side of this, it looks like, is that a micro SD yeah. slot? So you can load your images onto that. Exactly. And when you plug it in, is there on the uh, Commodore 64 some kind of menuing system that comes up? There's a screen uh, that lights up on the device itself and some buttons there. So it is a bit manual. You've got to kind of go, okay, menu, find letter A, find the game manually, and then select it. And then you just do shift, run, stop, like okay. a normal cassette. Can, can I just say, when he says the screen, this is oh, it's pretty, tiny, yeah. This is uh, <laughs> yeah. a couple of centimeters worth of. Um, it's readable though. It is readable. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was a solar panel. I was thinking, why the hell would you need that <laughs> on a on a cartridge? But no, it looks uh, pretty interesting. I mean, these are made in somebody's garage or something somewhere. Yeah, or? this is made by a friend of mine. Uh, there are, I don't think there are any official versions. So often you buy them without a case, actually. But they're only around twenty twenty five pounds. Wow. If you really want the tape experience only, mm -hmm. I would say that's the way to go. But this thing, the Ultimate 2 Plus, can also do this. So, so the good thing about that is you don't want to still... If you've got original tape media, so last week 
after we did our or the week before however long ago it was we had a last podcast i uh dug out some old commodore 64 stuff and showing you i've got some the original r type mm. uh, the box and game had armor light um uh, and those kind of things and i keep on thinking to myself they're great but tape is a, such a sensitive yeah. medium really yeah. So if you can get your images down onto this, you can keep your collector's items, as it were, mm-hmm. of those games. Actually, the Armalite case was fairly trash, to be honest, because you and I <laughs> ragged the hell out of we that. We were teenage boys. I mean, we weren't exactly delicate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, But you can preserve your images and play them and have that yeah. pretty much that close experience without wrecking your tape or stretching it or accidentally recording over it or some kind and of stuff. And it's tiny. If you look at it, mm-hmm. I mean, I've got limited space as well for my retro stuff. Yeah. The Commodore tape deck is quite small, but that's way smaller. Yeah, it just sits there. I mean, basically, normally I use the Ultimate Two Plus and maybe one or two of these other things together, mm-hmm. and it's just there. So if I want to load a tape, it's there. If I want to load a disc, it's there. If I want to pop up a cartridge, yeah, it's, this is the same with cartridges as well. I mean, everything data's just data, mm-hmm. whether it be a cassette, a disc, a cartridge, it's just data that goes into the into the yeah. system, and these are just modern ways of doing that. That. Uh, yeah. So it, so far in my budget, uh, it's <laughs> definitely possibly the SD card reader, and certainly that little device there. What do we call it again? Just a, a tapuino. Tapuino. Okay, right. Tapuino. So, so that's three storage mediums. But you've got something else that's quite intriguing here. Mm-hmm. I've got uh, pinched another piece of your hardware. Now this is not made in the garage, by the way. This doesn't look like it's yeah, made in the garage it's either. It's quite nice, isn't it? Another small device, again, a couple of inches uh, wide, as it were, about an inch deep, and um, it's white and it's got Wi-Fi. Yes. Uh, on it. So here we go. Uh, <laughs> we're in the modern era. Yeah. The thing about modern day computing compared to retro computing is definitely that uh, we lived in an unconnected world yeah. where you could you could occasionally through dial-up means and modems uh, certainly uh, I used to have one for the Commodore 64 mm-hmm. uh, a dial-up modem mm-hmm. and you could connect to bulletin boards yeah uh, and so what does this play what what role does this play I mean this basically does that but it uses Wi-Fi to connect to your router mm-hmm. so rather than going through the analog phone lines um, you're going through your, your router using Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the good thing about this is the, the board rate is high, mm-hmm. well, comparatively high and reliable, unlike your old phone lines and the, you know, they weren't exactly... Well, let's not forget the cost of that. I, you, oh, I remember yeah, yeah. hearing stories. I mean, using the phone in our house was one of those things you didn't do because, you, you know... Yeah, and your mum would say, get off the phone, you've been on it for five minutes. It, exactly. It was expensive, yeah. But the... BT in the day, or British Telecom as they were, used to have horrendously high charges and all kinds of... Uh, they had like a special rate time, didn't they, that was not particularly That's special. That's right, yeah. This is all before... Depending on if it's Saturday or evening or morning or what day it Tuesday was. Tuesday after a magic coconut Wednesday. <laughs> what, whatever it was, the charges were astronomical. And the first online experience I remember hearing about mm-hmm. were um, 8-bit text multi-user dungeons they were not happy stories there were stories about people who got obsessed with this online experience of mm-hmm. going into rooms and re- doing text adventures online mm-hmm. whilst they were hooked up to a modem and they incurred huge costs around it so let's oh, not bet, un- yeah. underestimate really you didn't want to spend too much time because if you think about it i mean okay sometimes you might have a long phone call of an hour with somebody you love or whatever now and again mm-hmm. but mostly you know you call someone up for five minutes have a chat and maybe arrange to meet up or yep. just to catch up. 
things with a modem, I mean, you're sitting online playing a game, it's, it's going to be a whole evening, something like that. So you're right, back I'll in the day. What, it wouldn't have been a whole evening in my household. <laughs> I would have got a clip here. <laughs> and not to mention, you couldn't use the phone at the same time either back then. Yeah. Uh, this is this was also the case when I had a dial-up modem on my PC as well. I had to ask my flatmates, "Is anyone using the phone?" So I could dial up on early internet access. <laughs> People picking up the phone and getting a yeah, screaming like a fax machine. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, so that that's great. So how much does that cost? That's around thirty pounds. You can find it on eBay um, or get it directly. It's called Wi-Fi sixty-four. There are other solutions that are more pricey. Mm-hmm. Some with like more lights and little screen on it, but this is a really simple one. But how, how do I configure it? Because there's no little screen on that. Um, so what I had to do is find a piece of software um, by googling, mm-hmm. uh, just C64 BBS yeah. client or something like that, and then using that software. I mean, you do get instructions with this as well. Yeah, I I figured it out in not more than about an hour. It wasn't mm-hmm. difficult. I don't consider myself a genius or anything. A little bit tech savvy, but and so you, you can use the piece of software to originally configure it, connect it to your your router. Once you've done that, put in your password and um, things like that. Connect, it, gone through the security, that will all get saved. You can put the modem board rate up to the fastest, which is twenty six hundred, I think, mm-hmm. um, and it all gets saved. And then once you you you'll need data to contact the BBS sites originally, but you put that in a phone book and save it, and after that. It's pretty much there. You'll need a port number. Mm-hmm. It sounds more difficult than it is. It really is pretty much common sense. I've got a video on it also. So you've got bulletin board presence now then? I have indeed. Retromarkey is, yeah. If you look around the bulletin boards, I am there somewhere skulking away in, in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Brilliant. Okay, well, so that's that's pretty uh, impressive in terms of hardware. Anything else you want to say on the hardware? We're limited for time. Cause we're yeah, half, I mean, half an hour through now. exactly. We're limited for time. There's the Princess, another piece of hardware that I believe has now been um, discontinued. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's call it a day there because we could go on and on and on. Okay, so what uh, about software? What things can I do with my amazing new hardware that I couldn't back in the day? Well, there's a lot of homebrew around and not... You know, you hear the word homebrew sometimes and think, okay, people at home making stuff, but this is high quality. Um, there's a thing called RGCD, which is a website uh, and a competition by a British company. And what happened is they were making 16K C64 um, competitions. Mm-hmm. People to make a game in 16K, and then they would obviously rate it and everything else. Yeah. The winner in the second place. And what happened is um, the quality was so good they decided to start publishing some of these for you to buy on cartridge, disc, and tape. Mm-hmm. Um, and with all the artwork and everything else. And so what happened was the homebrew turned into, yeah, a bit more investment and they became modern-day products that look as good as uh, Armalite by Thalamus, for example. So there was one, uh, Sam's... Uh, Sam's it? Journey. Sam's Journey, that's right. So that looked like some kind of Mario-type It is game a Mario kind that's... of game. That's a that's a new game yep. that that you can uh... just came out about a month ago now. Okay. Um, hugely successful. That I think was from is that from Protovision, Cytronic, I think. So and there are three main websites I go to. There's RGCD, which stands for I think Retro Game Competition something. I don't know. So it's RGCD <laughs> um, who do the competitions, but also sell the cartridges. There's Protovision and Binary Zone. Mm-hmm. All of those two home brews are very high quality. Uh, on disc tape and cartridge at really good prices as well. Wow, okay. And uh, I've seen there's some pretty impressive demos out at the moment making use of 
you know, all this mm. additional hardware and what have you. There was a Miami Vice demo, which looked like it was a Commodore 64 version of the Miami yeah, Vice the intro. intro. I, I was amazed at the quality. It's mind-blowing, isn't it? It's apps. That's using the memory expansion on mm. the Ultimate 2. And if you've never seen anything like this, uh, you'll be able to find it on YouTube yeah. to see. And you will be amazed. It's that, incredible. That, that the same thing that kind of gave you, gave you I don't know, uh, name, name me a rubbish game on the Commodore 64. Oh, there weren't any. <laughs> no, there were loads. Yeah, so any of the early games, basically. Yeah. yeah. If you think back to some of the earlier poor games, and then you take a look now at kind of the, exactly, the yeah. level of music and um, you know the kind there of video fidelity is brilliant. Juno first, one of my favourite arcade games. I did a comparison. The C sixty four is incredibly disappointing. Yeah. Knowing what it can do, not just now, but with games like around the time of Wizball, it's like they had no idea about the abilities. Capabilities of the machine. It's not quite Atari ET, though, is it? It's not that bad. It's not that bad, no. but um, it is pretty shocking. Okay. So, yeah, you know, demos like that. What else? I mean, I was going to um, also mention, I mean, the home, the demo scene is still huge. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem to go away. They're still pushing this machine to this day, even. I mean, last week, I think I sent you a copy of, um, there's a friend of mine, Italian programmer, got back into the 64 and um, he made a game called Planet Golf, mm-hmm. and he's figured out how to get 48 kilohertz sample of music through a standard C64, no RAM expansion, nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jethro Tull, um, incredible piece of music. And people just keep doing it. The demos keep getting, I wouldn't say better and better, but the demos, they just keep finding new new things they can do on it that you didn't think were possible. The people who architect, uh, architected this system yeah, couldn't, possibly have conceived no. that in 2018 people would still be producing and honoring that machine in, a, yeah. in such a way to, to create some absolutely amazing demos and not just honoring it as in some people at home tinkering around honoring it as in new websites new games new cartridges community wise new hardware like, like the things i talked about earlier yeah community wise mm-hmm. i mean it's it's an incredible machine it's got something special yeah, still. there's still a spirit of Commodore yeah. 64 around. And when I, I look back at all the computers, it's still up there. But the fact that it's got this resurgence. Mm. Um, it's a magical machine, isn't it? Yeah. It's, not, it's no disrespect to other machines. But it's something, and obviously I'm going to be biased, but I still think I can say hand on heart, it's, it's something magical about that machine. They yeah. got a lot of things right. I don't know if they even, I don't think they probably knew that at the time. Mm-hmm. And like we talked about last time, the Vic chip and the SID chip, I wonder if some guys got it right. But I don't know if that was officially Commodore's position. It was a business machine, wasn't it? Yeah, but it did come together in all the right ways for us young, the, the youth of the 80s. Now, one thing I did want to mention was, um, of course, if you don't want to go out and buy any of this stuff, mm-hmm. of course you can emulate it. There's two I recommend. Um, there's the CCS64 emulator, and then the, the Vice emulator is the one I, I use the most. What I like about it is um, high compatibility, including with some of these modern cartridges, um, and also you can emulate scan lines, which I really appreciate on a modern PC monitor. Yeah. Now, I do emulate sometimes. We talked about this a little bit last time, but um, emulation is not all bad. You can still get an equivalent experience, can't you? Yeah. Maybe not a genuine experience, but you can certainly get an experience which may send you down that road of wanting an original machine again. Yeah. 
Um, and also the modern... That's, that sounds like a kind of um, retro computing dealer speak. <laughs> Have a bit of this and you'll be back for more. Yeah, <laughs> just try this for free and then uh, come back to me when you want another hit. Uh, but also, of course, emulators are useful development. But probably a lot of these kind of gadgets we're talking about and the FPGA boards mm -hmm. and um, making demos and homebrew games. I'm sure cross-development is a huge thing. Yeah. 64 is a great machine, but like I said, not easy to program. Mm -hmm. The keyboard is a full-size travel keyboard, but it's a little bit... Mm -hmm. Yeah, compared to a nice modern PC keyboard. Mm -hmm. If I was going to sit down and program a C64 demo or game, I would use a PC just for that convenience. Yeah. Plus, with a PC, you can do save states. You can rewind. You know, you can do so much more than you can on original hardware. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to go down that road of saying just because I'm a huge collector and fan of the original hardware that there's nothing to be said for emulation and these modern FPGA solutions. Let's not be snobs yeah. uh, about this. So, yes, people have obviously put a lot of effort in into creating these uh, emulators. It's a very quick and easy way for people to dip back into that experience and relive the, the joy of uh, you know all those games from days gone by. It's also preservation. Emulators help us preserve the uh, systems as well and all the software of the systems that, mm -hmm. you know, so think about the Commodore PET, it was all on cassette. Those cassettes eventually are going to wear out, but yeah. with emulators, we're preserving software. So nothing wrong with emulation. Mm -hmm. But of course, if you want the real experience, get a machine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. You can't beat the original machine and feeling of that. No, that's good. So, you know, we've covered quite a wide spectrum of things, really, in terms of hardware and software. Uh, Huge amount, yes. Emulation. And, and we could cover more, I'm sure, but we've got to keep it down to a reasonable amount of time. We've been jabbering on for about 40-odd minutes now. So let's talk about what, we were, uh, what we're doing at the moment now. Let's move on. Well, I was going to say, Dan, what are you playing at the moment? Anything new? Anything special? What's going on in the PC world at the moment? A couple of developments. So... <laughs> Um, there's so been a lot of controversy recently of PC gaming, hasn't there? Yeah, there's been tons of it. Um, one of the titles that has been in the headlines is Star Wars Battlefront 2. I eyed this up and thought, cool, a Star Wars game looks really good, developed by DICE. Really want to get my hands on that. And then by all accounts, EA decided that they were going to monetize it heavily with loot crates and kind of pay-to-play mechanisms with poor leveling mechanics. And we're going back to episode two with Destiny kind of thing here? or That kind of thing, yeah. yeah. And so an awful lot of people turned their back on the game, and I was one of them. I thought, I'm not getting involved in that. Well, they've had to think again. Mm -hmm. They're removing all those mechanics. In fact, they've removed them all. They've made leveling a lot easier, and the game is much more of a normal game to play. <laughs> so I, I saw it, uh, sadly, it was at Toys R Us, and they were closing down, Yeah, which is, I think is quite a sad thing. It is, yeah. Uh, but uh, they had... Battlefront 2 on sale there so it's a happy event <laughs> after all <laughs> and I picked that up and I haven't had a chance to play it really I've watched my kids play it all right they've loved that is it first or third person game or both it's both and okay I think that's the difficulty I've got I don't like third person I like first mm. person I, I know I'm with you on that yeah yeah so and when you've got a choice of both there's no point in playing first person because the people with the third person tend to have better field of view True. And, and awareness so it spoils the mechanic uh, for me uh, which was why I was always a Destiny fan, because it was all uh, first-person. I think it's that... Uh, I, I, I do have some third-person games that I like and enjoy, but generally I would go with first-person. It's that immersion again, isn't it? You feel more immersed in a first-person game. Yeah, but the thing is, being a, a an ageing gamer mm -hmm. has its downsides. <laughs> it's very sad when you see all the young kiddies getting on and they they have lightning reactions. Oh, yeah, and no yeah. matter how fast I want to play... My brain doesn't work like that anymore. No. Nope. I'm, I'm not as uh, instant reactive. I'm more of a kind of ponderance man. Me I too, like, yeah. I like to contemplate. So, so 
I've been looking at that anyway this week, but uh, not technically playing it, viewing my kids play it. But the one I have t- taken a look at is Elite Dangerous. All right. Uh, so I've had some online experience with my dad. Uh, funnily enough, as you do, I think combined age of about a thousand years, fly, <laughs> flying through the galaxy as a team, trying out the multiplayer. Well, we stuff. are the Retrosaurus podcast, so a couple of old dinosaurs here. Yeah, so that's recreating the Acon Electron experience where we used to share a keyboard and play together in the same room. Now we're online chatting to each other, and funnily enough, he's given me coaching tips because he's got a lot more hours in, in, in that game than the I have. joys of retirement. Hey? Yeah, yeah, well done, Dad. What about yourself, anyway? I've been playing a lot of Persona 5 still. I mean, I'm about 35 hours through that game. I think I'm on the third dungeon. I think there's about eight. Mm-hmm. So that is a huge game to play. Um, yeah. I mentioned it before, Final Fantasy. If you like Final Fantasy X, combined with anime, incredible experience, but eats up a lot of time. Mm-hmm. This is PS3, by the way. I'm still stuck on the PS3. Yeah, you still haven't got a, a modern gaming console. I will talk you into it one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, to be fair, I will, I think, get a PS4. In about five years' time, yeah, when I've cheap. got a PS10. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I have looked at, you know what, PS4 I would go for. I have seen there's quite a few good exclusives mm-hmm. that are not going to be on the PC, or probably not. And you know what, Sony exclusives are really... Persona actually is a, not Sony exclusive, but... Well, I think it's the platform exclusive. Yeah. And um, RPGs on the PlayStation platform tend to be when they're good they're really good and i'm playing dirt rally a lot online against my mate still um which is codemasters uh, rally simulator is that through steam that is through steam mm-hmm. yep and uh call of juarez which i pronounce in a spanish kind of way english people call of juarez maybe but a bit of an oldie but it's a first person shooter but in the era of the cowboy really good actually really good fun i love my fps's i think yeah. you do as well mm-hmm. And yeah, it's a little bit slightly old school now, but if you haven't played it, great storyline and it's hard as nails. Okay. Really challenging, even even on easy. So. So you speak Spanish? Well, of course I do. I lived in Spain <laughs> <laughs> for many years. I love the accent. Call yeah. it uh, So what we're going to do next time? Have we got any thoughts on this? No. <laughs> <laughs> we have got thoughts on the future, but we've got a lot, haven't we? And narrowing it down to I might be trying to persuade you to go to look at the Amiga next what do you think so we're going to have an arm wrestle about this yeah because I'm going to talk about the con- no I'm not going to go back to the Connex <laughs> again <laughs> I, I think Amiga may well be up there um, Spectrum needs to look at as well doesn't it we do need to de- delve into the rubber keyed world of the Spectrum um, and all the joys that that brought in fact in fairness that played a huge part in the history of oh, computing in this country and uh, your mate Sir Clive Sinclair um, <laughs> has got uh, you know, he's got to be given credit oh, for definitely. the innovation that he put in. So, yes, we will honour that chap at some point. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll pick out some topics and uh, surprise you with those next time. So you also wanted to say something else, didn't you? It's a bit of one of these, uh, if you've been affected by the issues <laughs> raised in this week's episode. <laughs> so you've got uh, some other shout-outs you want to mention. Uh, well, yeah, it's just I'm a member of uh, a Facebook group called uh, Commodore and Amiga UK. Okay. And uh, which uh, I'll put a link in the YouTube version of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, now Rob Crane is the uh, the main uh, main guy who runs this, Big 64 fanatic, and Amiga as well. Oh, excellent. Right, okay. Yeah, but also I'm on there if you want to chat to me or ask me any advice on any of these peripherals or things we talk about. It's just a place to basically for C64 and Amiga fans to, to get together, chat, share videos, and all sorts. 
Excellent. So Facebookers who haven't been scared away by data analytica, Cambridge, <laughs> yeah. Cambridge analytica, um, join up and uh, get all that Commodore 64 and Amiga goodness. Like I said, I'll put a link in the YouTube video because um, I don't remember the exact name. Something like Commodore and Amiga UK. Like, there's loads of them on Facebook. So. Mm -hmm. I'll put a link in. Excellent. Good stuff. Alrighty. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. And again, thanks for your support. We're hoping with the, the new, new podcast being on the new website, uh, that it's gonna gonna do well, and I think it is. So far, I'm really pleased. Okay, well, uh, I've I've enjoyed your company chat, and uh, let's wrap up this podcast. Uh, so thank you very much for listening, and thank you, and goodbye from Michelle. Goodbye. <laughs>